0: You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I've
1: seen people who really know the Lord men who really know the Lord who pick up the prostitute and get their mug out there for everybody to see I mean men who really know the Lord I've seen Christians who have gone out and had one too many and then got in the car and the least of it is they got the DUI or they got thrown in jail the worst of it is they hurt somebody else or hurt someone in that car or hurt someone with their car
0: Christians are just as susceptible to sin as anybody else. In fact, because we know the law and are in a relationship with God, we'll probably be even under more attack at the hands of the enemy. The temptations will come in stronger, and it will be harder to resist. It can be done, but the fact is that you're not always going to make the right choice. In today's message, Pastor Danny will encourage us to approach this life with humility and wisdom. You need to know your weaknesses and to not be afraid to ask for help. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: The willingness to suffer keeps me from being lukewarm. We read that at the first part of chapter 4 of Peter. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. I mentioned when we went through that, a very smart preacher, commentator, much smarter than me, but I strongly disagree with him in him suggesting that that simply means that when you die as a Christian bodily, your struggle with sin is over. That's not what it means. It can't because verse 2 says, as a result, He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. And the implication, as we studied it, remember, is once you get serious enough that you're willing to suffer and you step across that threshold and you really put your life on the line for Jesus, you're no longer wishy-washy. You're no longer on the fence. And that willingness to suffer keeps me from being lukewarm in my Christian life. Now... Let me read you something from our friend, Daniel Henderson's book, Transforming Prayer. And please understand, this is so practical, and and we all are naturally like this, including me. He says, Our prayer list can easily become so saturated with our desires for ease, comfort, convenience, and accomplishment, that the goal of God's glory becomes obscured. Our human tendency to avoid pain, Loss and difficulty can dilute our passion for God's glory. I know that because the vast majority of prayer requests that we get as a church. Now, don't take this negatively. This is just human nature, even for the real born-again saint. Is when you're sending in a prayer request for the surgery, pray that it goes well. Pray that you heal quickly. I mean, nobody sends in a prayer request and says, pray... It really goes bad, and it takes me forever to heal. Nobody does that. When you're, when you're praying for somebody else, pray that they have minimal pain. We get that a lot, minimal pain. Now, that's just natural. That's just natural. We're going to pray that way. Let me read the what Oswald Chambers left us before he went to glory. One tremendous statement that he made. Let me read it. Here it is. To choose to suffer means something is wrong to choose God's will even if it means suffering is a very different thing no healthy saint ever chooses suffering you've got to screw loose if you do he chooses God's will as Jesus did whether it means suffering or not that's a great statement anybody that chooses suffering you, I ain't hanging out with you you got something wrong you, you're delusional I mean you are you're some you need counseling Now let me tell you a story. Martin Luther was a German monk and a Catholic priest. He was the man responsible for what we call the Protestant Reformation. He was born into Roman Catholicism. His dad wanted him to be a lawyer. He was studying to that end. But as a young man studying to be a lawyer, uh, he went through a terrible thunderstorm, a literal thunderstorm. Uh, lightning strike narrowly missed him. He thought he was going to die, and so he prayed, and in his prayer, he made a vow to God. He said, God, if you get me through this thunderstorm, I will become a monk. God got him through the thunderstorm, and to his father's displeasure, he fulfilled his vow. Martin Luther, instead of becoming a lawyer, became a monk. As a young monk... He was driven by fears of God's wrath, fears of hell, and a need to gain personal assurance that he was saved, that he was saved. In 1511, he moved to Wittenberg to earn his doctorate in theology. He immersed himself deeply in the scriptures, especially the letters written by the Apostle Paul. And it was especially those letters that God revealed to Martin Luther that salvation was based solely on... On the grace of God through the merits of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was a free gift. Could not be bought. Could not be earned. Martin Luther, so convinced of this truth, began to teach against the Catholic Church's practice of selling what they called indulgences. And selling these indulgences, they would teach that if you buy an indulgence, uh, you could get a reduced punishment for your sin. You could buy indulgences for loved ones that had died, and they could get a reduction of punishment for their sins. Maybe even buy them out of purgatory through the indulgence. They taught that if you got a big enough indulgence, you could actually be forgiven of all your sins. That's what they were teaching. And they were raising all kind of money through selling these indulgences. A lot of people buying them because if you can buy your way you know, out of, out of hell, right, great. Well, Martin Luther began to teach against the church's practice on October 31st, 1517, nailed his now famous 95 Thesis to the Door of the Church in Wittenberg. This thesis challenged the Catholic Church's selling of indulgences and also outlined the biblical doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone. Luther was warned by the Cardinals of Rome to recant his position But he refused, and he said, unless somebody can show me scripturally where my position is wrong, no, I will not recant. So in January of 1521, Luther was officially excommunicated by the Pope from the Catholic Church. Two months later, he was ordered to appear before Emperor Charles V in Worms, Germany. A devoted friend named George Spalatin sent Luther a personal message, don't go to Worms. Because if you do, you may end up like John Huss. How many of you have never heard the name John Huss? Never heard the name John Huss? John Huss was a Bohemian Catholic priest. His original name was Hussanik from the village that he was born in. He decided to change his name to shorten it to Huss, so John Huss. Huss means the goose. That became his nickname. They called him the goose. John Huss, 100 years before Martin Luther taught that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not the Pope, and that salvation is in Christ alone through the grace of God and the merits of Jesus Christ. He was, if you will, a pre-Reformation reformer. You ever heard the phrase, he cooked his goose, or I'm going to cook your goose, or phrases like that? You've heard that phrase, right? Yeah, we get that from John Huss. Why? He would not recant. He continued to stand for truth, and they burned him at the stake. And someone overheard him say before he died these words, You are now going to burn a goose, but in a century you will have a swan which you can neither roast nor boil. That became prophetic of a 100 years later, Martin Luther shows up on the scene. Martin Luther, because of John Huss's prophecy, was referred to by many as the swan, even by Martin Luther himself. After Luther died, much of Lutheran art depicts John Luther with a swan on trial before the highest officials of the church and state. Again, Martin Luther was asked to renounce his views. On the first day, he became so overwhelmed with the immensity of what was happening because they asked him two questions at the end of the first day. The second would have meant that he had to recant his beliefs. And Martin Luther, realizing the situation he was in, asked for the night to pray And he would come back the next day and give his final answer. The request was granted. And so he prayed that night. Some of his prayers recorded. I'm going to read you an excerpt from Martin Luther's prayer that night. How frail and sensitive is the flesh of men. And the devil so powerful and active through his apostles and the wise of the world. O thou my God, my God. Help me against the reason and wisdom of all the world. Do this, thou must do it, thou alone. For this cause is not mine, but thine. For myself, I have no business here with these great lords of the world. Indeed, I too desire to enjoy days of peace and quiet and be undisturbed. But thine, O Lord is this cause, and it is righteous and of eternal importance. Stand by me, thou faithful, eternal God. I rely on no man. O God, stand by me in the name of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, who shall be my protector and defender, yea, my mighty fortress, through the might and strengthening of thy Holy Spirit. Wow. And the next day at trial, here is Martin Luther's response. Since then, your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply. I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Thankfully, Luther did not end up like John Huss, but his writings were banned by the church. He was declared a convicted heretic, but he was saved from the fate of John Huss because some of his friends kidnapped him and put him into protective seclusion. And in seclusion, Martin Luther translated the New Testament into the German language. Once done so, these texts went throughout Germany, and for the first time ever, the German people could pick up the New Testament and, in their own language, read the truth which they were not getting through the church. We need men like John Huss today. We need men like Martin Luther. We need women like Queen Esther who would put her life on the line for the cause of God and for his kingdom. At this point, the text, 1 Peter, throws us something that you may not have been expecting. And here it is. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So it starts with the worst and goes with being a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. What kind of judgment? Not a judgment of wrath, a disciplinary judgment, a judgment intended by heaven to make us like a Martin Luther, a judgment intended by heaven to make us like a John Huss, to make us like an Esther a judgment, a disciplinary thing to get us to our senses and get us on the path that we're suffering for the will of God and not our own stupidity. You didn't see that coming, did you? Here's what the Lord says, Proverbs 12.1, and he, he's a straight shooter. I like the Lord because I, I, I'm a straight shooter. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That's pretty plain. I mean, a child can understand that. My wife and daughter found this in Canada while we were there over the summer. They showed it to me, and I said, i got to get it, got to get it. And I don't know if you can see it. It says, it is what it is. My friend, Pastor Jim Simula, our friend, Pastor Jim Simula, I've heard him say it so many times. I love the statement because to me it's a biblical statement. It is what it is. I keep it on my desk now. To me it's a loose translation of Jesus saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you. He says to Peter, Peter says, I'll die with you. I'll never disown you. Peter, here's the truth. It is what it is. Tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Thank God Peter repented and became a Rocky for heaven. I'm going to make a statement that I believe is biblical. A Christian, a true child of God, a true child of God, I believe can commit any sin that they committed before they became a Christian, before they became a child of God, except one. And it's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you're rejecting the witness of the Spirit in pointing you to the only Savior that can save you, Jesus Christ. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You resist that witness, you can't be saved. That's the only thing you can't be forgiven of. It's Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus Christ, don't receive him as Lord and Savior, how can you be saved? That's the only way to be saved. But any other sin, I'm capable of committing as a Christian, except that sin. And so our text says, if you suffer... It should not be as a murderer. You mean a true child of God can can commit murder? Ask Moses. What a foolish thing he did. He's a great man of faith in the Bible, but he didn't start out that way. He made a foolish, stupid decision and killed an Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew. And you know what? He suffered for 40 years. But thank God, at the end of those 40 years, God had him now on the right track. And the Bible says after that 40 years, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Before he was proud. grew up in the palace, king's palace. Was a man who knew how to get things done. And so what he did, he did naturally, but it was in the flesh. It was a foolish thing, and he suffered for 40 years for it. Just ask David. King David sends for Bathsheba, has an adulterous relationship with her. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up, can't cover it up. So he has Uriah the Hittite, one of his own mighty men, who is Bathsheba's husband, killed on the battlefield. He's a man after God's own heart. And he made a stupid mistake. And it cost he and his family the rest of his life pain. He was forgiven by God. He was forgiven. But Nathan the prophet said, because of this, the sword will never depart from your house. Don't miss that. That's not saying God made things happen negatively in his family. It's a bit mysterious, but David's sin had a domino effect in his family. One of his sons raped one of his daughters. Later, the full-blood brother, two years later, killed the half-brother that did this. I mean, you just have... Problem after problem after problem. But it started with David's mistake. He was forgiven. But there were consequences. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer. There are genuine born-again believers in prison right now because they made a stupid mistake and killed somebody. And they're truly saved. Or any other kind of criminal. Sometimes it's translated male factor. But the Greek word simply means an evildoer. And there's where you can fill in the blank for anything else. Awful quiet. I've been a pastor in the same place for 30 years, and I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot. I've seen people who really know the Lord. Men who really know the Lord. Who pick up the prostitute and get their mug out there for everybody to see. I mean men who really know the Lord. I've seen Christians who have gone out and had one too many and then got in the car. And the least of it is they got the DUI. Or they got thrown in jail. The worst of it is they hurt somebody else or hurt someone in that car. Or hurt someone with their car. There are Christians in prison right now because they killed somebody with their vehicle. Because they shouldn't have been driving. And they shouldn't have been drunk. Listen, I'm not talking self-righteously. Don't you misunderstand. But by the grace of God, there I go. But by the grace of God, there I go. Do you understand what God's saying so practically to us? Suffer. But suffer in the will of God. Don't suffer for stupidity. Don't suffer for a stupid mistake. God's given us a whole book of examples of men and women of God who have made mistakes. And God's given us the record so that we might not make those same mistakes. Samson. Here he is, a man in the hall of faith, the Hebrews 11. And he had a one-night stand with a prostitute. A man of God. Let me give you one more story. You're welcome to turn to it or you can just listen Numbers chapter 22. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, but unfortunately it does not have a pleasant ending. If you just read this part of the story, you would think it had a good ending. The Israelites are traveling through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. God is defeating mighty armies uh, before them. And the Moabites hear about the Israelites, and they're headed toward Moab. And so to try to save themselves, they hire the services of a sorcerer named Balaam. Balak, the prince of Moab, sends his princes to Balaam. And God reveals himself to Balaam and says, don't go with these guys. And they come with money to pay for his services, but God says, don't go with them. And so Balaam says, God said, God of Israel said, I can't go with you. So they go back to Balak. Balak sends more distinguished princes and a bigger blank check. And comes back to Balaam. And here's what Balaam says. Stay here tonight and I'll see what else God might say. Now if you don't read it carefully, you'll think God changed his mind. Because that night, verse 20 says, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them. But do only what I tell you. Did God change his mind? No. No. Read the next verse. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. So why does God say in verse 20, go ahead and go with them? Because God, if you're determined, if you're determined, if I'm determined to go away that's out of the will of God, when God has said, don't go with them, don't go that direction. But if I'm determined I'm going to go, God will let me go in order to try to teach me a lesson. Because if I go that path, that is not the path of blessing. Blessing. That's the path of pain, but pain outside of the will of God. And God's going to allow me to suffer going my own way to try to teach me that is not the way to go. Balaam goes, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path, verse 24, between two vineyards. Or, I'm sorry, verse 23. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord, which, by the way, is Christ in the Old Testament. This is Christ. The angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. Now he's cornered. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry, and he beat her with his staff. And then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. I never get over this. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? You just imagine this donkey talking. But that's not the most humorous part about it. The the most humorous part is Balaam begins to have a conversation with his donkey. Balaam answered the donkey, you made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? Which you've always ridden to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And you can see Balaam thinking for a minute. Well, as a matter of fact, no. And then verse 31, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, listen to me, listen to me. That's what needs to happen here before we leave. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the sword drawn, so he bowed low and he fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. In other words... I'm trying to save you from your stupidity. I'm trying to direct you on the right path. And you're headed the wrong direction. If you read the whole story of Balaam, Balaam confesses that it is sin. Balaam is actually anointed by the Holy Spirit and he prophesies in the name of the Lord. But the New Testament tells us that Balaam never really repented. It says he loved the wages of wickedness and he ended up destroyed, destroyed destroyed. Don't let that happen to you.
0: Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series in the book of 1 Peter. It's easy for people to say that God is good when things are going well, but what about when things are really hard and your faith is being tested like never before? Are you still able to say God is good? Well, in the book of 1 Peter, you get to hear the right perspective about suffering, even when it's unfair. God sees you and he knows what you're going through. Peter himself was a prime example of suffering much for Christ, but he knew that it was worthwhile because he watched Jesus' example firsthand. Are you in a state of suffering for Christ today? Look up and be reminded that God isn't surprised by it, but he's also not reveling in your suffering either. He's there to comfort you through your trials. We encourage you to keep tuning into this series, Learning and Growing from the Truths Revealed from the Word, Before we go, we wanted to mention that if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you come join us for our weekend services. We have a Saturday service at 6 p.m. and two on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Just go to our website at ccfstpete.church to get directions and more information. Thanks again for joining us today. We trust that you'll be eager to learn more from the book of 1 Peter here on The Living Word.